Good morning. That's the lyrics uh, that we just sang really uh, prepare for uh, what I want us to see in Nehemiah chapter 4 this morning. Uh, the best uh, defense is good offense. The best defense is a good offense. And I realize it's football season and that's a perennial argument. What's, you know, what's, what wins championships, defense or offense? But there is something to the idea that a good offense is your best defense. It goes back to George Washington, actually, at least uh, in written records that are familiar to that expression. I know when in high school, I was in the chess club. Yes. <laughs> it's the game of kings, you know. But I did discover that when I was persistent and pressing on offense, it put my opponent constantly on defense and I was able to control the board. And that was an insight that wasn't taught, it was an insight that I discovered. When I was a soccer coach, I always had a motto, let your feet do the talking. Because sometimes kids can get caught up in all the prideful side of things and I just really wanted them to focus on using their feet, talking with their performance. My pastor taught me something that has stuck with me and has shaped my life on a, on a regular basis and that is act, don't react. Act, don't react. And in life, if I were to kind of uh, cobble all of that together, I would say I've learned to do the godly thing and leave the results to God. And doing the godly thing, doing the loving thing, uh, trying to do the right thing. And I know that's something that our heart is uh, shaped in understanding uh, almost intuitively as we walk with the Lord, as we grow in faith, as, as the heart of the Lord really influences and inspires our hearts, becomes a part, very deep, ingrained part of how we live our lives. I was reminded of this uh, in Nehemiah, how the opponents try to defeat the people as they put their hand to the task, the problem that they face, which is rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Not, not the temple, the temple had been rebu rebuilt, but the walls of the city were, well, th they're called rubble uh, in debris. Uh, a lot of the stonework has been charred and burned, and the work is enormous, daunting. And so it is that the opponents 
who do not want the, the, the Jewish people, Israel, to thrive, do not want the walls to be rebuilt, they threaten them in three distinct ways in chapter 4. And the first threat that we read about comes in the opening verses, verses 1 through 6. The opponents ridicule them to sow self-doubt and breed fear. And Nehemiah, in verses 4, 5, and 6, responds with prayer. And they go to work. Verse 6 says, they wanted to work. They went to work. They put their hand, so to speak, to the plow. The second threat we find in verses 7 through 9. And the opponents conspire to harass and threaten to harm them. And then we see the response in those verses as well, especially in verse 9. The people, Nehemiah and the people, they prayed and they kept working. And then the third threat we see in verses 10 through 15, the opponents, they've been trying to get inside their heads, inside the head of Nehemiah and the people, and it begins to work. And we see this in verses 10 through 15. In verse 10, the propaganda that they've been spreading is internalized, kind of like a time-release poison, you know? It just keeps working in incrementally, and it starts showing up in these uh, disastrous ways. And in verses 11 and 12, we're told of a surprise attack that was plotted back in verse 8, but now it's leaked out, and it is causing the people to panic, and so we're told in verse 13, uh, 12 and 13 in there, that 10 times the people come to Nehemiah, come to where the work is being done and say, give it up. It's never going to work. Come back home. We've got to return, you know, because this is, this is just, they're going to overrun us and kill us. And then in verse 15, uh, we're told that God broke up their plan, their plot, because Nehemiah takes defensive precautions and calls them to remember the Lord great and awesome, to stand together if need be, to defend each other side by side, to defend brothers, sons, daughters, wives, and families. And then in the balance of the chapter, Nehemiah journals of the precautions and the possible precautions that he went on to take uh, to thwart any possible or forthcoming attack. So let me, with that in mind, let me read through 4, 1 through 15. And maybe you can follow what's happening a little more clearly. Now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, you've got a picture now. These are chieftains, but they've come out 
on horse, armed, all of their soldiers from the different fiefdoms around in that area. And in the present, Sanballat's yelling these things. What are the feeble... What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they receive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And then Tobiah is at his side and he joins in. He says, yeah, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break it down, he will break down their stone wall. Here, now this is Nehemiah in response. Here, oh our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So here they are, they're on the walls, they're working on the walls, and this comes up. And all of this smack, this trash talk. And Nehemiah prays, and he says, God, they have provoked you right in front of the people that are working to rebuild your walls. So, verse 6, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But, here's another threat then, the second one, when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Now, I don't believe this was made public. They plotted is the key word. But that was the plan. But verse 9, they continue, we prayed to our God and set as a guard a protection against them day and night. Now, in Judah, which is the surrounding territory, it was said, those are key words, it was said. In other words, it was said, it was heard, it was said, it was heard. The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's so much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. See, that's, have you ever been subject to that kind of thing, you know? You're trying to do something. Maybe you were on a team or in an effort, and then the bad news comes even from within your own ranks, even within your, you know, the good guys are saying it too. Yeah, in fact, maybe we ought to give up. There's so much rubble. And he's not talking about Barney. (laughs) Verse 11, 
And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Now see, that's what people overheard. That's what leaked out. The plot, the plan was, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. They're planning a surprise attack. But as it says here, so in the lowest parts of the space, verse 13, oh, excuse me, verse 12, at that time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions. See, they heard, they overheard that. From the, the Jews who lived near the enemies. They overheard that, and they said they came from all directions, from all those territories, to the walls where they were working and where they were staying to protect their work, and they said to them, 10 times over, you must return to us. In other words, get out of here, quit. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in, uh, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. In other words, Make your offense your defense. Don't be afraid of them. Don't react to them. Keep your eyes on the prize. Focus on the work. Remember who you're working for. Remember whom you're serving. Remember who's beside you and who's in it with you. Something that has been very significant to my thinking over the years, and it really has a, a, a powerful role to play in all kinds of leadership and administration, certainly in the church, and to be sure, in spiritual warfare and living the, the abundant Christian life, if you will, the victorious Christian life, and that is where there is no power, other powers will arise. And when there is a loss of focus in our own lives and when God is not Lord of our lives, you know, he is, he is the Lord of absolute sovereignty and control. But the interesting thing is that, and this is the thing of faith that runs as a thread throughout the Bible, is that even though he is the Lord of absolute control, individual control over you and individual control over me must be invited. I must submit to him. I must give him that lordship in my life. I must trust in him. All of those are ways of saying, I am going to recognize your lordship in my life, in my heart right now, in my fears, in my troubles, in my perspective. 
Nehemiah is doing that constantly with the people as they are threatened. And the greatest threat ultimately to them is the internal disposition of their lives, the internal disposition of their attitude, of their heart, of their outlook, of their thinking. I read, uh, I wasn't looking for this, but uh, I'm, I'm on BookBub. And so every week I get a little email of, of you know, digital um, Kindle-type book opportunities at reduced prices. And one of the books is last week, the title, I can't tell you any more about it. I don't know if you should buy it, but I love the title. People can't drive you crazy if you don't give them the keys. <laughs> and Nehemiah, throughout this chapter, is trying to hold on to the keys so that the enemy does not drive the people crazy. Ultimately, he wants to give the Lord the keys. He wants the people to give the Lord the keys. And Nehemiah cannot lead the people to the Lord unless the people acquiesce, unless the people say, that's right, I'm going to do that. I'm going to give the Lord the keys to my life. I have no authority as a pastor unless people trust me to be a good pastor, to point us unto Jesus, and in all the administrative things, to do it Jesus' way, to keep us on track in following Jesus. That's success. But if people think that's not what we should be doing as a church, they're not going to follow me. They're not going to listen to me. And if people don't want to follow that Jesus, the Jesus of the New Testament, if they want to follow a Jesus of popular opinion, they will not follow the Jesus that I'm pointing them to from the Bible. Does that make sense to you? I have no real authority but your desire to put Jesus first and your trust in me to be faithful to that same commitment and obligation. That's what Nehemiah is. That's the strength of his leadership. Yeah, he had authority from the king, Artaxerxes. He was governor. But that's not how he motivated, incentivized. That's not how he inspired the people. In fact, in chapter, it might be in this chapter or in chapter 5, he says, I didn't do this and I didn't do that. In other words, I didn't take advantage of the people. I didn't accept uh, several of the perks and privileges that were mine as a governor. Do you know why, he says? Because I fear God. Not the king, 
He fears the Lord. And so he wants to do things that are right on a whole different plane and level. How did he keep them from succumbing to discouragement? How did he keep them from succumbing to discouragement? There are six things I want to hit real quick. In this fourth chapter, failure, falsehood, fatigue, frustration, fear, and focus. Failure. All that rubble was a reflection of a failed past, the defeat of the Israelites. And you'll notice the enemy, everybody keeps bringing up the rubble, the debris. We can be defeated. We can become discouraged. We can lose sense of who we are in Christ, our identity, the power we have to be influential in our personal, individual, corporate, public, all situations of life. If we are saddled with our failures in a way that we feel that we are impotent, that we are weak, that we can't make a difference, I've failed before, I'll fail again. How many times does that set the course of our life? Failure. And that's something that is combated by Nehemiah by constantly keeping them on the offensive. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Trust him. Pray and work. Pray and work. Pray and work. But remember, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, and they didn't, they didn't have, you know, Jesus at that point in time, But it is important to remember these words in Christ. We're new creations. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. That's something that we have to remember that each day is new in a foundational and theologically true way. My past sins, my failings, nothing can inhibit me from moving forward in the strength of the Lord into new and great things that he has planned in ways he wants to use you and me. The only one that can prevent me is me and you. Not believing the Lord not accepting his forgiveness, not claiming his grace, not recognizing the presence of his spirit, clinging to the past. Falsehood, verses one through three. They belittle the people. They ridicule their ambitions. They taunt their hopes. They joke at their enthusiasm. They mock their confidence. They shame their work. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Like, you'll never see that happen. Will they finish it in a day? What are they, fools? This will never be finished. Can they bring stones back to life? These rocks that they're trying to use to erect the wall are destroyed. A fox, a light, dainty fox, if he jumped on this wall, he'd knock it down. 
Well, this seems all foolishness to us, but if you're listening to it, you're on that wall, you see the rubble. How often does this happen in our own lives? Second Corinthians 10, three through five, though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. Our weapons aren't of the flesh, but divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Falsehood can play a huge, destructive role in our ability to live the way we are to live because it it erodes, it destroys faith. We put our faith into the truth of the falsehood rather than into the truth of the Lord. How many times just one negative thing about you has had the power of 300 positive things? How often Does some little, I'm so perturbed by that. All of a sudden, you can't see everything else. All gratitude is lost. That one little annoyance just eats at us, eats at us, eats at us. Pretty soon, it's just bigger and bigger. It, It dwarfs all of the good that you have to build on in your marriages, in your relationships, in your friendships. No kidding, I've seen people bent on divorce. Oh, and I look at it and I'm thinking, this is solvable. Do you realize what you're throwing away? You you have blinders on you. You've lost sight of everything. There's no sense of the power of God. Honestly, Shelly and I have been married 45 years. We're pushing 46 It wouldn't have happened if we didn't each claim the lordship of Jesus Christ and put our faith in it, not just up here in our heads, not that kind of thing where, okay, God, take over, fix him or fix her. What about me? Fix me, Lord. Work through me. Work in me. Make your changes in me because I'm the one who is saying to you, the Lord of all sovereign control have control over me. Fatigue. Boy, we're vulnerable to discouragement when we're tired. It was said in verse 10, that's the words, it was said the strength of the labors is failing. This is a report of fatigue that creates fatigue. Good guys, the good guys, they're the ones with the white hats in this story. The good guys spread the worst kind of news. They are the pack animals of despair. Mark Twain said, this is really good. It takes your enemy and your friend working together to hurt you to the heart. The one to slander you, 
the other to get the news to you. <laughs> A fourth thing that can lead to discouragement, frustration. There's so much rubble. The job's too big for us. These, these thoughts, it's too much, too big. We can't do it. It's impossible. These thoughts were sown back in verse 2 and 3. In the taunts and mocking of the enemy. How close are you to the enemy? Kierkegaard said in his journals, he wrote, Job endured everything until his friends came to comfort him. Then he grew impatient. Here's a fifth, fear. In verse 11, it's gotten out, and so the people are spreading it. They're going to kill us. We won't even see it coming. That propaganda was weaponized by friends, the Jews who were near the enemy. And Nehemiah says, when I saw their fear, Verse 14, when I saw their fear, what did Nehemiah say? Did he say, you know what, you're right. I'm tired of this. We'll never make it. Let's get out of here. No. He says, remember the Lord, who is mighty and awesome. We need, we need people who believe. That's what a leader does. Yeah. Thank you. I agree 100%. Seriously. Someone whose faith is a little bit deeper, that's what a discipler is. Someone who's lived it a little longer, who's a little tougher, and when the chips are down, they seem to gather up all the chips and make it into confetti to celebrate what God is going to do. We need people in our lives like that. And the wonderful thing is that you, everyone in this room, you could be one of those people just by trusting the Lord, by believing in him, by letting him rule, instead of, well, who are these other people? Who are these other people that we allow to rule us through what they say? How their their words get inside of us and create our sense of reality and shape our attitude, shape our mindset, shape the way we see other people. Who are these people? Do they care one word about you? Are they devoted to you? Are they going to sacrifice for you? and yet you give them this privileged place in your life? You believe what they have to say? Nehemiah says, mm -mm. don't listen to any of that. Turn to the Lord. Here are and finally, focus. 
That's kind of what I was talking about just a moment ago. Don't listen to the wrong people. Too often the people are listening to the enemy and sometimes we're just too close to the enemy. With friends like these, who needs enemies? Six ways of overcoming discouragement. Focus on the Lord instead of the enemy. Especially see that in verses four and five. Focus on your offense. That is your best defense. Walk in the Lord, trust in the Lord, believe the Lord. Put that into practice. That will be your defense. Three, remember the significance of the task. Don't lose sight of what we're all about, what we're really doing. It's life-changing. It's changed my life. It's changed your life. It's that which is going to go forward when death closes a door on everything. Notice uh, in verse 18 and 20, he says, uh, he, when he was making preparations, he says, look, wherever, when you hear the trumpet blast, you go to this place or you go to that place. Wherever you hear the trumpet, that's where you go. And then Nehemiah says, I, I kept the trumpet player right next to me. Because he didn't want the trumpet being blown for any little thing. In other words, Nehemiah would decide what was really threatening to the people and that should interrupt the work. Interrupt the offense. I like that. And then fourth, stay united with God's people, verses 19 through 23. Work and pray side by side. Work and pray side by side. Work and pray side by side. Work. Nobody wants to work. We're all about time off and vacation and things like that. But the work has to do here with living for the Lord. Yes, in the specifics of Nehemiah, it was building the wall. But when we say work and pray, work and pray, work and pray, walk with the Lord. That's our work. Trust in him. Live for him. Will you stand with me? Your best, your offense is your best defense. A godly offense. A godly defense in all. I'm going to pray. I want to remind you when we say amen, I'm going to be up front here along with pastoral staff and elders, deacons, or spouses, if uh, you would wish to come and pray with us to intercede for someone you care about, something you're praying about, to pray with us about your walk with the Lord, maybe to rededicate your life to him, to trust him in ways that you have forgotten or abandoned If you do not know Jesus Christ, you want to know more, and you'd like to start by making that known to us, we invite you to come up here and talk with us. Pray with us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Nehemiah's. Help us to be a Nehemiah in our own situation, building our own lives and walls with you your temple at the center of our lives. Father, we pray that you will go out with us as we seek to live and serve and follow you. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all of God's people said, God bless you.